Welcome one and welcome all to Chillin' with Kofi. We have a great episode. We have a great guest. It is my friend Max, who's the co-host of the First Play podcast, which is a podcast where they go on Spotify and listen to songs with zero plays and give their reaction. Sometimes they find an okay one, but it's mostly bad songs. So, but how are you doing? Uh, I'm great, man. Thank you for putting the pod on and everything. How are you, man? I'm doing good. Now, before we get to questions, we have to talk about your short film, your podcast, and everything in between. Uh, I want people to know where they can find you on the internet so they can pause this podcast and follow along with you um, as we are talking. So where can people find you on the internet? Of course, on Instagram, I'm Team Maxime, T-E-A-M-M-A-X-I-M, as in Mary E. Uh, and on Twitter, I'm Maxime Schemes, because uh, my original Twitter that was Team Maxime got banned. For telling Twitter, I will kill Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I said, what See, the fuck is a fleet, bitch? I'll kill you. And that was on that was my it. birthday. That was the it. The last thing I've ever tweeted at 6 o'clock on my birthday. They were like, happy birthday, uh, Max. <laughs> oh, they gave me a gift, all right. <laughs> So you grew up in Florida, correct? Yeah, I, I grew up in Lake Worth, Florida. That's real down south, a little bit like an hour north of Miami. Okay. So how how was growing up there like and what got you interested in film and making these kind of short films? Yeah, so uh, two very different questions. Growing up in Florida is rough. Like you hear all the Florida man shit and like that shit is kind of real. Like. You Jesus. don't even you don't even know. Like I seen some crazy shit. I had a gun pulled on me during a basketball game once. Like what? crazy shit. And I grew up in the suburbs, bro. The thing about Florida is, especially South Florida, the redlining is so crazy that the rich neighborhoods are right next to the poor neighborhoods, and everybody's just ghetto as a result. Everybody's just ratchet as fuck as a result. Jeez. So you just you just got used to like mad shit that like should you just move to a different place and you're like, oh, this isn't normal. Yeah, yeah, right. New York is pretty chill, like comparatively, because like by comparison, New York is chill. Like, like I don't, I don't see any of the crazy shit. I mean, maybe I do. It just doesn't, re- doesn't affect me the same. You're just like, this isn't Florida level weird. It's like you don't see any of the animals. Like I, I one time had a lizard in my laundry for like three. You ever have like a pile <laughs> of laundry you don't move? <laughs> yeah, I had, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had an immovable thing of laundry and i left it there and there was a lizard in it and i was like ah it's a lizard he'll like find a hobby or like a job or something this nigga stayed in my laundry for three days we slept together bro (laughs) that's my nigga i wonder how he's doing (laughs) maybe maybe you should write maybe you should write in these tough times see how he's he's holding up yeah he's having a tough time with covid you know everybody is yeah you just recently released a short film What's it called and what is the inspiration for making it and what are your creative inspirations in general? So to answer your first question, I didn't get I didn't get to. I started wanting to be a filmmaker when I was like four years old. Right. I okay. watched I watched a featurette of Steven Spielberg uh, making E.T. on like the Disney Channel or something. And oh. I was like, someone made my favorite movie. Great. <laughs> There it is. And I and I my mom has a very funny memory of me asking her, when are we going to move to Los Angeles when I was like four years old? She was like, nigga, what do you know about Los Angeles? And I was like, that's where they make movies. <laughs> so that's what got me into filmmaking. My current film is called Outer City Kid. Um, yes. It's actually a play on Inner City Kid, obviously. Yeah. Um, because I saw a stat that said uh, most black people live in suburbs and and exurbs and the country not that many black people live in inner cities uh-huh and so my thought process was okay well the the experience that i thought was unique the suburban experience is actually synonymous the norm? with the black experience exactly yeah and so i'm just going to tell a normal black suburban story and that's what i did was tell a story about what it was like to grow up in florida kind of so you looked up to steven spielberg what other creative inspirations were entangled in your filmmaking curiosity Greta Gerwig is like my favorite uh inexplicably I saw her and it's like it was like watching magic on the screen Barry (laughs) Jenkins because he's just like a fantastic black filmmaker a lot of old films I like uh bring it up baby 
Uh, I got I just got Criterion Collection, Kofi, and let me tell you something. Streaming service wise, best bang for buck in the business. If you like old movies, it's the best streaming service. If you like old movies. So is that like TCM included or like Turner Classic Movies? Or is it like not related? They just give. Nah, you the old they're movies. not. They're not related. Criterion is a company that takes really old movies and preserves them. So you oh, can okay. get Criterion editions of movies, but you can also just get the stream service. I do like watching old movies because I feel like now you have like computer special effects and CG. Whenever there's effect in old movies, it was basically like their creativity and what they had at their disposal. And it's also camera angles and how you see sometimes it's just the feet. And, and those shots often do more for your imagination than just showing you the fight or whatever it is. Yeah, and I love watching um, old Twilight Zone episodes, like the first Rod Serling ones, you know, where if you were watching it and it was made today, you would know how they got a certain shot. But back right. in that day, you're like, wait, how did they how did they do that? Right. That so, right. Yeah. I just love that ingenuity and creativity. I, I love that first episode because in college we had to do a project on it and I hated the project, but I liked how it turned out uh, where we had to just basically recreate that first episode as if you were the production designer and this was pre-production and someone gave you the job and you're pitching a job. So I made that whole first episode in Key West. I made, I re, I rechanged the, I recasted the guys Cuban made it based out of the military base in, in, and uh key west and it just it ruled that's the first episode where he wakes up and like nobody's in the town and okay yeah okay. Yeah, yeah that's the one yeah that's, that's a good so one cool. uh but yeah so my film is actually based on a true story okay uh i had a friend uh travis gay uh he was a great friend uh and then i moved to college and then crazy stuff happened and it just so happened while i was back in town for the night for the week because it was Thanksgiving break, uh, something that you'll see in the film uh, happened. I mean, you've seen the film. You saw it. Yes, happened. I have. Yeah. Tell everyone how great it is, Kofi. <laughs> it is really good. And I think it, it is. I think it's really I think it is really relatable that when you do get to high school and you graduate high school, it's a real test on how close of friends you were when you graduate or how close the relationships stay. Sometimes you ha you keep on at these friendships even if you go to a different college or even if your friend doesn't even go to college. And then sometimes you just like trail apart. So when I was watching it, I was it, it, it kind of reminded me of a, a couple friends of mine where they were like, no, go out the state, go, go do this, go do this. This is a great opportunity for you. And then you have that inner monologue where it's like, should I really leave the state for college? Should I really do take this opportunity because I do miss how I know life is as I know it. The reason why I chose the University of Maryland is, you know, someone that grew up in Raleigh, North Carolina for 18 years. I we hadn't we never moved anywhere else. I was like, look, I have this chance to leave the state and figure out if I like it somewhere else. And if I if, let's say if I leave for four years, even one year and I don't like it, I can just transfer back to NC State or right. whatever. right. But I don't think I'll ever get this chance again. So I have to take it. So it kind of just reminded me of that like inner monologue of like this is the in because in high school, when you graduate high school, you think that you're going to be friends with everybody you were in high school forever. Yeah. And that is just simply not the case. Impossible. It, it isn't because they are. <laughs> I remember like the day after graduation. We had this big part because my graduating class was small. It was like 106 people. Oh, my God. My class, my graduating class was seven times that. Yeah. Almost eight. So my graduating class, I had at least had a conversation with everybody that graduated with me, like at least one. Like we were either like in class or on the track team or at a basketball. Like I knew these guys like very, very. I knew enough about them very well. We had a graduating party afterwards where everybody got to come through it was just like a big thing and i was sitting at that party being like how many of these people i actually see again right in the and out of that 107 people i'm going like to five, go with right? eight i'm yeah. going to go with eight yeah um eight was like my close friend group because i was the only because i was one of only like eight black kids oh, in, my, in my grade so i i, I hung out with five of them 
And then I had like three other friends. And so that's it. No, I feel that. I mean, like I had a really wild high school experience. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like I was uh, not to toot my own horn. I was um, popular in high school. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. We had a big high school, about 3000 people. And um, I was like elected into student government and all this stuff. And so this film is really about navigating that time after high school and figuring out like who you are who you will be and like are you are you grown enough to shed your hometown your old friends uh and it's also about navigating the tricky minefield that is toxic masculinity yeah i also saw that part that part in there as well um that was a good like midsection of i'm the obsessed film. with toxic masculinity in that it doesn't make sense and yet it's so pervasive through societies and I mean societies it's multiple. Yeah, absolutely. Like much when I was in Guatemala, it was crazy. When I was in France, it was crazy. Like everywhere machismo culture is like fucking toxic and uh, no one calls it out. Right. Yeah. Like people right. just let men be awful. My sister, dude, my sister yesterday was driving and she saw this girl getting her ass beat, dude, by, by another man. Dude, that's and fucked she, up. And she rolled down the window and was like, get in. And that girl like sprinted into the car. The dude broke her car handle off and jumped on the back of her car. So like these are the things that we don't really question about masculinity. I mean, that one is just like an extreme example. But we don't talk about these things. And and I'm really interested in bringing to light the kind of dynamics between men. That Yeah, like dialogues need to happen. Right. Dialogues definitely need to happen. And I think that your short film is a pretty good entry point into like bringing up the downfalls of toxic masculinity, like why it's not a good thing. Yeah. I mean, there's so many obvious reasons why it's not a good thing, but that one just sheds sheds a light on such a specific example, personal example, one that so far, and I've done very limited showings to people everyone can relate to, especially men. When I ca- when I when I started doing the crew for this film, I really kept an eye toward women. I took to to get on the cast and crew of well, not the cast, but the crew of the film. And yeah. I I literally could not. I got a couple of women that agreed, but then COVID messed everything up. But it's the first few pitches I tried to pitch this this short film to, women just did not relate to it. Yeah, and that's okay. Not everything is for everybody, but. You know, for my next film. Did that make you revise the script a little bit? No, no, no. Um, just because I know that this is a film about something that's personal to you. That and it's about brotherhood. Yeah, and it's a true, and it's like a true story that you're just right. I'm not going to read you my true story because then it wouldn't be true. Because you can't relate to it. (laughs) Yeah. So, what things affected? What things about the pandemic affected production in terms of filming or your own methods or the timetable? What happened? Yeah. So, um, for this film only, <laughs> COVID was kind of a <laughs> blessing in disguise. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't realized how ill prepared I was, and we would be watching a very different film now had COVID not happened. So, okay. when I first started it, I raised a few dollars, about three thousand dollars, because that's how I make my films now as i raise money because doing films trying to get funding is as a 27 year old black man who doesn't know anybody is like hard enough so i just tell my friends hey you guys want to put a couple dollars in i'll meet you halfway and so they did yeah so we're getting ready to shoot in april it's january money's raised in february i believe so we're two months out we're just just fucking grasping for straws man and COVID happens, we have to push it to July, which then we pushed it again to September, obviously. So we push it to September. And then I looked at my cast and realized that everybody I had cast was wrong. So you everybody. recasted the whole thing? I recasted the whole thing. So so when you recast the whole thing, did you just, did you like shuffle around new people or did you just get a whole new cast? No, I clean slate that hoe. I was like, no sir, <laughs> no sir, not today, not me. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, no. really but really i hadn't i hadn't hired anybody yet i did pay right. everybody so i can say the word hire yeah i hadn't hired anybody yet but i had a short list and i had posted multiple 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 postings on i think it's called backstage or something the okay. website you get actors at and just goose egg 
And then I got this new job during COVID and I started making more money and now I can start to pay people. And then I made a new posting where I said, I'm paying. And that's when I got my actors. That That's usually a good incentive. Money <laughs> is, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, with all its faults, it works. <laughs> <laughs> so you then recasted right. and then... What was the next process? What was the next part? Oh, right. So then I recast and I'm finally like, oh, my God, thank you. So I send it to my producer and then my producer drops out of the film because it's COVID and he's working hard on his on his actual job, on his day job. Right. And like, far be it for me to tell someone like, hey, don't work on this thing where I'm paying you way below market rate for fun. Like, don't like don't leave. Like, it's fine. So I just said, you know what? I'll do everything. <laughs> so, yeah. so I put, I did that Greg Jenner. I know you got a lot of sports fans. I did the Greg Jenner. I put the team on my fucking back door. <laughs> and, How about he uh, doing that with a broke leg? He broke his fucking leg, though. <laughs> and so I realized, like, yo, I just got to do everything. So I casted it. I found the location. I paid everybody out of pocket. Uh, I found a nice cinematographer. And lo- thank God for my cinematographer because he, he filled out the whole crew. So all I had to do was focus on the mo- the moving parts, the the gear, the stuff that has timelines and stuff. Um, and he said, "All right, we got everybody basically." And because he did that, it freed me up to do other stuff. And it was really hard, man. It was super hard. Making a film is like moving a mountain. Is this your first attempt at a short film, or have or did you guys do this in college? Like you did college like projects, and then this you're going off of that. Yeah, so I'm from, I went to University of Central Florida. I know you're always talking about your college, so let me just join yeah. in. <laughs> I, I went to school for television production, so not technically film. Yeah. But the film program kid, you know, I'm a personable guy. I went up there, I start tap dancing a little bit, and, you know, they start putting me on their film projects more and more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so then I really start to get to know the people. I get all the crew, and I get all the cast, and really, like, really a good friend group down there. Uh, really supportive. They'll read any script I send to them. They're really great people. And so once I got that done, I I, I started to film a thriller that if you want to watch, you have to ask me directly because I hate it. You know, you know, <laughs> it's not it's not available on the internet. It's unlisted. It is, but I won't tell you how to find it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All so right. I, do, I do that, and I'll send it to you later, Kofi. So I do that, and it was fine. It felt like a film that was on par with my peers. But since I, they had already made two films and I yeah. my first film, so it was on par with the person making their third short film, which pretty good. Yeah, not bad. Then a few years later, also raised money for that. Then a few years later, I got an internship to go to Guatemala to, to make a short film. Yeah. And I'm like, what? This is one of those things where it's like, should I go? Is that stupid? It's a scam, right? Like, it's like no way it can be true. Like, Guatem was everything like paid for? I mean, like it was expensive. It was like three grand. Okay. But but all expenses paid after that. Like everything was covered. I think that I think that it's more hesitant when everything is paid for. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's like, like where everything? does the money come from? Like, ev- like why me you know right. it's like you <laughs> we're, we're getting to my great big why me moment soon yeah my huge why me moment so we do that it goes wonderfully the film does amazing it's at guatemala it's it's called ciclo de cambio it's about pedal power technology and, oh, okay. and all of these people who don't have money to have electricity sometimes because like their electricity will just black out. If you're if your people are from a third world country or a developing nation, you know that electricity isn't as promised as it is here. Yeah, my dad's my dad's from Ghana and we've gone back to um, his village where it was growing up. It's a way more valuable resource there than we we don't really think about it here in oh, America. Yeah. But like in certain places, you're like, uh, we need to conserve electricity. We need to conserve right. water like a lot of right. places like don't think about that and it's it's messed up but you know yeah dude if i turn on the light switch if i flip a light switch and that motherfucker don't turn on i'm hot right, right. immediately on the spot i'm hot yeah but, but then... there that's like tuesday for them yeah so so the pedal power technology works that yeah uh, and we made a short film about it. it turned out really great considering what we had to film it with uh we won a ton of like small film festivals like go on a f- film festival tirade later <laughs> and then, so this is technically my third film. I was a cinematographer on that one, so I didn't direct it. This is my second okay. directorial 
film, and this is my third short film overall where I'm like in a power position. Okay. Well, I produced a couple in college, but we don't count those. Those are awful. Col- yeah, college projects don't really. I wouldn't uh, like count. No. no. So then I got. I started applying to jobs uh, at my last semester of college because I am an anxious person. Uh, just, I've been applying since I was like 15, so like might as well just continue. Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. Like anxious, anxious, pe- anxious first generation people will never stop. So I just kept going. Yeah. And I got the internship of a lifetime at Sesame Street. Oh wow. Yeah. That was. Is this your why me moment? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this motherfucker said, "Can you be here in three weeks?" I said, "Bet." I didn't know anything about New York. Not a thing. All I knew was I got a great uncle here. That's it. And yeah. he said he'd take me in. Was okay. Like was bad, but I'm still here. So when? The internship was bad or what? No, the internship was, was a dream. What was, ba- what was bad? Day. The internship was a dream. What was bad was my uncle ended up kicking me out. Oh, okay. For no reason. Dang. He Just because his wife didn't like the cut of my jib. Oh man, that's tough. Oh yeah. I mean, family he, politics. I mean, here, here in New York, when you have a relative like them, it's New York. So like, whatever space they give up from wherever they're living, that's a big ask. Well, they so so my uncle owns two homes in New York yeah. City because they've been here for like a long time, it's like the seventies or eighties. Mm-hmm. So it's like he told me I would come into a basement that would be my room. Right. So I hop in, get, get there. It's snowing. I go to my baby cousins because they also lived there at the time. It's like a big, there's like a lot of family members there at one point. And yeah. I go, it's snowing. And they looked at me like, nigga, we know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, you, you never seen snow before? I had never seen snow before. I was hyped, bro. Never in I, Florida at bro, all. I, I turned to this four-year-old. I had never seen a more pissed off four-year-old. <laughs> she said, yeah, I know. God damn. <laughs> So I get in the basement. The basement's full of shit. Turns out my uncle's wife is a hoarder. Oh, dude. I have to share a fucking twin-size bed with my grandmother for four months. Dude. This is my New York struggle story, yeah. But it was, like, the best internship. Right. Like, in terms of, like, your future, you were like, I will take these sacrifices. I kept my eye on the prize. So then I had to leave once he kicked me out. I started working a job where I had to travel two hours each way to scan papers for a job. Yeah. And then once I was ready to come back to Sesame Street, they had me back. So really great. I consider them family, man. I just texted someone from there right now. That's a great place. You've been to my house, bro. You know how much Sesame Street shit I have. I'm repping constantly. How much Sesame Street means to you? How much, uh, what, Nickelodeon as well? I worked at Nickelodeon. I had a lot of jobs. I worked at Nick. I worked on Ocean's 8. I currently work at Gizmodo. See, this is my Sesame Street album that I got the other day. Oh, what? That's sick. For those of you that For those of you that are watching on audio, I mean, it's only audio. Uh, this is a <laughs> Sesame Street fairy tale, fairy tale vinyl. Yeah, That's I found, so cool. I found the other day, and I have an original sign with my name on it. It's great. So let's get back to the film. <laughs> yeah. Nice um, little tangent there. Yeah, that's what podcasts are for, right? Yeah, exactly. But um, so yeah, the film. So then we finally get to September, and everything's in order. Everything's in place. But that, one of the scenes, there's a party scene in it. Yeah. And I had to play it off. I had to rewrite that scene a little bit because I wrote it as a party. Yeah, but you, but you, but there because isn't... of COVID, yeah, we can't have parties. But I do, I do like how you shot it though. Yeah, to give thanks. the to give the illusion of that it's like a big party, slightly bigger than it actually is. Right, there exactly. was only one of the people in that scene is me. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> but it's like there's only two people there, and everybody else on the crew. We're either working or decided, like, I don't want any part of that. Um, yeah, we also had exactly. another big snafu in that scene. We were shooting in a basement, and we had all this equipment, and the equipment was taller than the basement. Like the boom mics and everything? Not the boom mic so much as the, like, there's a little thing you hold the camera with. I'm forgetting the name right now, like a steady cam kind of situation. Gim- a gimlet? Gim- a gimbal? Gimbal? Gimbal, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like a gimbal situation. And it just didn't fit. So we had to reshoot that whole scene. And it just, everything had was awful that day. So when I saw the footage, imagine my surprise that that scene turned out good. I cannot. <laughs> after after everything that like went, yeah. I was just sense. talking to a buddy of mine about this film. And I was like, shit, it wasn't supposed to be this good, man. I, like, what if I peaked? 
what if I'm never going to make another film this good again? I'm, it's always good to see artists be like, look at their stuff and be like, you know what? I really, really like this. I'm not going to lie to you, Coast. I thought for a long time, I thought that I was just insatiable, that I would never make a project that I would like. I think it's hard to find because I, you know, I make a lot of content, but it's it's rare that I'm just like at the end, I'm just like, yeah, this is great. Like, I will be like, yeah, I, I like it. My coworker likes it. My boss likes it. The audience might like it, but do I personally like it? But then I like for me, like I'm making content, but the content's not for me. I want right. to make it like for the best for my like abilities and standards and be like, did I put my all into this piece of work? And if right. the answer is yes, then that's good enough for me. Do I actually necessarily like the video is a whole different story. Right. There's a great video by Ira Glass of all people. Black History Month. I shouldn't be talking about no Ira Glass, but Ira Glass. So sorry for those of you. Kofi <laughs> almost spit take. Spit took. I was Anyways. trying to drink water, man. Why? Uh, so <laughs> Ira Glass talks about there's a difference between uh, your taste and your ability. Yeah. Right. And and being an artist is about shortening that gap as much as you possibly can. And with this film, I feel like I've really finally closed the gap. And that, and that's good, man. I'm, I'm so happy for you. Yeah, honestly. It's, it's incredible. Uh, and so now I got, you know, you know, immigrant parents. Well, how are you going to make money off of this? Like, I don't know, man. I ain't figured that out yet. What do you think is your plan long term? Are you even looking that far ahead? Are you just like looking like one film at a time? Or are you, do you have like certain like an outline that you want to like think about? So 2021 is the year that I hope to get some sort of representation, right? Yeah. But whether that be an agent or a manager or whatever, like that's instead of trying to think too big or anything, like I don't know if, if I can make a feature. I don't know if I'm interested in making features. Maybe I'll make short films for the rest of my life. Yeah. Uh, which sounds sick. Don Hersfeld does it. And he has a great go of it. <laughs> He's a, He makes the, the – the, God, what's that movie called? World of Tomorrow, the day of yeah, World of Tomorrow. It's like an animated film. Okay. Um, or like maybe you you know you make commercials for a living until you can stack paper enough to make your own feature. Uh, all I know is that I can't direct for a living without representation. And I mean, I feel like it's hard. It's hard. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's hard to get in the film industry without concrete shit. Yeah. Right? So I have a lot of experience in the film industry. Yeah. Um, so I have a lot of connections in the film industry, but none so well connected that they can make something for me or help me make something. So yeah. it, it's it's pretty impossible. But the cool thing about the film industry is once someone does help you make something, everyone you've ever met will come and help you make it. So it kind of like snowballs. Exactly. So basically, I'm, I'm either looking for, you know, a new a new group of people to help me fundraise my next project, which I have about a trillion things written a trillion like screenplays or yeah of different differing sizes the one i'm looking at right now is a um is a, a script called dearly deported that i wrote it's a it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a it's a sitcom where a guy it's kind of like the opposite of coming to america a guy gets deported back to haiti a, uh -huh. uh, basically a dreamer gets deported right okay so he doesn't know anything about his home country and oh. right and his dad goes to the United States to try and fix the situation. And while he's trying to fix the situation, the guy has is in charge of his dad's like massive beach and hotel estate. Yeah. And so and he's accompanied by this African guy who's pretending to be Haitian so that he can sneak back into the country easier than from Africa. Uh huh. So that's that's that script. But uh I'm playing with a few things and we'll see we'll see what comes up. But I'm really not worried about my next project right now because I didn't know I was going to write this project until I wrote it. Yeah. So how long ago did you write this project? I'd say it was November 2019. Okay. So November 2019, and then you got into... Produ I got into pre-production in January. Mm -hmm. I started filming in September because of COVID. Yeah. And then it comes out in... Well, it has already come out if you're listening to this. Yeah, it, it has. We we filmed, we filmed this weeks before. Uh, yeah, we filmed this weeks before just to just to just to get it perfectly on, perfectly time the the release. You just know? to get it on the can. Yeah, 
In the can? Get it in the can. On the, in the, yeah. You got it in the can because the can is a canister. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So at the end of the, at the end of the movie, you have Instagram handles in the credits. Why did you think that was so important to put? Well, so I've worked on a lot of short films. Everyone's worked on a lot of short films. I've never gotten work from working on someone else's other, someone else's short film before. Right. Yeah. And I think that that needs to change as soon as possible. I think we're in a world where everyone can connect each other instantly. If you like somebody's work, if you like the way something sounded, if you like the music on something, you can just hit them up directly. And I think it's nonsense that everybody has an Instagram or Twitter. I use Instagram for this case because it is film. So yeah. everybody has an Instagram and nobody can connect. Everyone has a film Instagram. I have two Instagrams. I don't even use my second one, but. Everyone has an Instagram dedicated to their film, their craft. And, right. and, and for what? As a portfolio of sorts? No, we should use it to communicate with each other, to tell each other, hey, I like that project, or I'm working on this project, especially actors. Because at this level, we should be working with people that are around our same skill level. Because if you try and shoot too big, you're going to fall on your face. Yeah, of course. If you're making cool, interesting stuff with people that are at your level, trying new things, making things look crazy or whatever. I did some pretty crazy stuff in that film, as you can attest to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, that kind of stuff you can't do with, with, with a famous person. They don't want to be in your scene where everything looks weird or different than a film. So the only way to make interesting stuff is to connect with people on the same level. And the only way to connect with people on the same level is is to have some sort of outlet. So if you see something you like, you can go talk to them directly. Right. I think that it's really understated how important for leader, either creatives, um, how important social media is for networking. I think it's really understated because I, I have told, I have told everybody that has asked me, how do you get in the industry you're at? What is ever, what? So from, for me, it's more of a content creator standpoint where you use more of a filmmaker standpoint. Um, where there is a considerable difference. Um, I say that I, I tell them that I've gotten all of my jobs from Twitter and wow. not my resume. Whenever I whenever I have been approached, it's, but it's been through like a Twitter DM. It's been like, hey, I've seen this tweet. Can we like all a lot of my opportunities come from either like my Twitter, like they found my they, my email address on Twitter, but it was never LinkedIn. It was never right. LinkedIn or whatever. That's what I'm trying to say. Is that the same case for you? Or I, ironically, so in film, film is a dinosaur industry. Mm-hmm. So everything is is told through word of mouth. Okay. Turns wow. out that I'm just unforgettable. So when <laughs> I when I started in the film industry, I was a production assistant for two years, and I, Kofi, let me tell you, you're very lucky you didn't meet me during that time because we would not have met. <laughs> <laughs> you were busy as hell. I was working twelve to sixteen hours a day, six days yeah. a week. Jeez. So we're talking, we're talking seventy to ninety hours a week on SNL. I worked on SNL a few times, twenty hour day. Oh my god! Oh no, that's brutal. Run me ragged, and I had to get out. And I realized that the only way—this is ironic—the only way to make films is to get out of the film industry, like out of the traditional film industry. Like do stuff right. yourself. You make your own project first. Well, because nobody can nobody can help you become a director. I learned looking at looking in the mirror. I told myself, well, what do I want to do? I looked at all the positions on on a film set, and I said, well, that looks interesting, but I really want to direct. That looks interesting, but I'd rather direct. And so, what was I doing, spending ninety hours a week on film sets, if no one's going to let me touch the camera or tell people what to do? And so, it's considerably harder to like just climb up the ladder. It's While impossible. You're at the place. the yeah. only way to do it is to either work for a very, very long time. Yeah. Um, there's a ton of examples of it. Reed Murano is the one that comes to mind. She did the uh, the Handmaid's Tale. She's the producer on it. But before she was a producer, she had to. She worked in the industry as like a cinematographer for like 20 years before they let her become a director, and that sucks. That's too long. That's too long. And then the yeah. other thing, yeah, fuck that. And so. Basically, you basically got a long shot it, right? It's like you got to just make a film and hope and cross your fingers. I mean, there are a lot of places, I think, in in media where it's just you. It's hard to climb up at one job, but you can 
climb up diagonally if you go somewhere else and you go somewhere yeah. else and you go somewhere else. Yeah. And then you get like poached from like different places. A big example, I think, is how ESPN in their on-air talent, like a lot of their on-air talent comes from like other networks right. rather than like you start as a as a PA, PA work your way up. Yeah, that that it doesn't that, happen anymore, brother. Like yeah. that's an old school thing. That's that that's from that mentality of like, oh, why don't you just go email Ron Howard your resume and he'll figure it out? Or like, you know, I'll stay at this company for twenty five years and eventually they'll give me what I need. And like yeah. companies don't work like that anymore. Capitalism's yeah. gone broke too bad. Yeah, and it's and it's just like in media, you it's so unpredictable what can happen. Like you yeah. you can work at you can work at a newspaper or you could work at a a local news station and like in a week your station can get bought yep. and you can just be gone just like gone. Just in, instantly and it's just it's just so it's so nerve-wracking to like do do that kind of thing when i first got to my job at gizmodo i currently work at gizmodo as a creative producer no one yeah. knows what i work on i work on this series called auntie unfiltered it's okay. uh it's it's an advice series for uh kind of middle-aged black women okay i i love it it's so fun <laughs> um when i first got to gizmodo they had two layoffs when i was there and i oh, was yeah. new and i said i thought from the moment i got hired because i got hired at a different job i just got yeah. very lucky that i knew that i'm a creative person and then yeah. i was like well let me drive the boat and they're like all right here are the keys and i was like oh shit Oh, they actually, yeah. They let me drive the boat. <laughs> they gave me a series when I first got there. They just gave me a series to work on. Damn. At at Vox, I've been through uh, several rounds of layoffs. Oh, um, and those days are those days are not fun. Those and days not are over. <laughs> they are not fun. It, and you know, and you never. Whenever someone's like, "Oh, that well, that's the last," that, you know, for you never fucking know. No. Um, that's how it was at BuzzFeed too. When I was at BuzzFeed, everybody acted like 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 they had just seen a ghost for the entire summer I was there. Yeah, because it's just because sometimes they just come out of fucking nowhere. Like sometimes you get rumors, you get rumors that there are laid off, like are layoffs coming, and then some days you just don't fucking know. Like once, one time I was working. Um, this was my. F- this is my first year out of college. So I was working as a social media manager for, for SB Nation. I was, I worked the night shift. So I worked from 5 PM to 1 AM. I was, I woke up, I used to wake up at like one o'clock or whatever, because I was working the, yeah, cause I was working the night shift, but, and I see that I missed a call for my boss. Oh and, yeah. So I call him back because he never call like who who he doesn't who, call. Whose boss calls him? We like we're we're we were close enough friends that like I I had it like we were all cl- like close enough friends. But he called me since like I had known him for like three years before the job even right like before he even offered me the job. He goes, "Hey Kofi, where there's around like the company's doing a round of layoffs. I just called to let you know that your job is safe." Oh. And yeah, so. That was like I was like, oh, that Rest. this is this is so interesting. What is happening? And th- that was one of the that was one of the fucking weirder. It's always because it's like you're expected to still work that day, but then you just can't get shit done for like the next couple of weeks. And then there's that survivor's guilt of being yes. like, why why did that yes. guy get why yes. did that guy get laid off? He's yeah. twice as talented as me at this job. And you you yeah. And the more the more times it happens, it's just a wave of like people. It's a rough feeling. <laughs> And then people, uh, people would, even if you don't lose your job, people in the industry, they DM you to ask if you're all right. And they're like, oh, I see you survived your first layoff. That's all if got, you're famous like you. I've gotten DM. That was, no, that wasn't, that was my first year at, um, that was my that's first you were year at SB Nation. So I guess, yeah. I guess that's true. So yeah. it didn't, it wasn't even like a, that kind it was just like. And so you just like always think about it and you just like the more that like kind of stuff happens, the more it kind of like is like, yeah, like I love working at this place, but I do know that I am replaceable at any second because that. Yeah, like at my current job, I dare not ask for more money because I know the only reason they're keeping me is that I'm cheaper than everyone else. So damn, you don't you don't price match. You don't ask for like a you don't 
ask for a salary match? Do you know the other like the other salaries of your of, so they're your coworkers? in a union? They're in oh, a you're union. not you're not in the union, and I'm not in the union. Oh man, that's I'm, I'm sorry. a freelancer. I don't even get insurance, brother. I I hurt my arm. You see this? I yeah, wear a wrist yeah, yeah. brace. I wear a wrist brace. I uh, been I could I went really hard as soon as COVID hit. I was out of town. I came back in town. Yeah. I started doing pull-ups every time I went to the bathroom. And then I was gaming a bunch, and I was editing a bunch, and I hurt both my hands. Oh, jeez. And just absolutely fucked. Oh man. So it took it took a couple of like rounds of layoffs for, and then Vox did unionize because we weren't unionized for a while, and then yeah. we did unionize. Um, shout out to the the union bargaining committee because they were that took they took like it took a year and a half to get our all the union contract stuff because that's crazy when when you unionize for the first time you have to discuss everything on the con every possible thing every that single can, thing every single thing that could be potentially like we want to advocate for this we want to that has to be discussed and then when in like three a couple of years when you when you talk about like adjusting the contract Everything the groundwork is already there. Then you can like you tweak just certain one things. thing or two things. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh yeah, I, I that experience, man. Being so young, being so young, and like watching the unionize, unionizing process, and that was just like so. I learned a lot, and I wasn't even in the bargaining committee. Right. Like, I, I learned a lot through osmosis about like right. this is. This is what the power of the employees have. Like, this is what the collective, you know, this is what can happen and everything. But, yeah, that was so, it was so interesting. To pivot off of that, I think yeah. um, I learned a lot about the money yeah. in filmmaking when I was at, at Nickelodeon. Um, so I worked for the executive team making videos for the executives. Yeah. And I just... It, the numbers that matter and figuring out which numbers matter and how they matter and who to sell it to and how they got this and what program people come through to get where they are. And, and yeah. it's just, you learn so much about how the money is made in this industry. And, and then you learn a lot about how the notes process works on that level. What do you mean? And so with everything, I'm sure you have it too. When you, when you finish a project, you have to, send it to your boss and get notes. So yeah. then they'll send notes back to you and tell you, well, this worked, this didn't, this was funny, cut this joke. It might be funny, but it's offensive to X, Y, Z or whatever, and you didn't realize it or something. Right, yeah. Dude, that shit is rough on the executive level. How many, how many uh, go-throughs do you usually do for a series? I've seen series go through like, like just complete overhauls, like absolutely like, Oh, everything you turned in like looks great. Everything that it's about has to change. Oh dear lord, yeah. I mean, and then, yeah. and then, like, there's a show that's out. Hold on, let me see if it's out yet before I before I break an NDA. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's a show that's yeah, it's out. There's a show that's out, Santiago of the Seas, that I saw go through some crazy changes. Yeah, it's yeah. like. I can't speak but, any more about it. <laughs> and you, you weren't even working on it. so I wasn't even working. I didn't work on the shows, but I, what I worked on was the presentation, the selling of the shows to, oh, okay, to okay, ad okay. buyers and everything. So yeah. we'd have to take the footage that they had, and sometimes it would only be so much footage on an animated show or something. Yeah. And try to sell it to them as in like, oh, this is the most like African-American viewers on this channel. And like, this is going to pull really well with our African-American viewers and stuff. Oh, and like, like, yeah, like the actual selling of TV shows. We made the videos for Upfronts, um, and that shit is crazy. You get in a room with like a thousand people, and they all just, like this is pre-COVID, obviously, and they yeah. all are just watching your video on the biggest screen imaginable. And we've apparently made the company a ton of money like that. But it really goes to show you that numbers do lie, and you got to make your <laughs> shit. You got to make your shit lie conveniently. And that's what, that's the goal. That's the goal for the rest of my life. Because <laughs> if your shit can lie conveniently, so like, let's say, let's say you got a, a thing that didn't get that many viewers, right? Right. Like, that sucks. But what if 80% of your viewers are black? Now you have something to sell on. 
Right. Yeah, I mean, it's basically just like, you know, well, like certain a certain show might not have the number and views, but it might have the highest watch time. Yeah, and exactly. And maybe some com companies might have the highest watch time, the highest click-through rate. It's and wild. Like, looking at the analytics, because it's there, every, like everything, every piece of content, the analytics, you can't just base it on one thing. Right. You it's totally impossible. can't. Because that's what happened with, like, Facebook video views, and we all found oh. out that that was, like, that was not true. And that, like, ch- changed the entire industry um, in terms of how people, like, uh, like people even made content. Um, and so, tanked, yeah. Tanked several companies. Yeah, it's just, it, it's just so wild to be like, okay. Yeah, because when I was growing up and trying to make YouTube, the only analytics that I knew about were what the view count and then the like to dislike ratio. And remember when the like dislike ratio was green and red? Yes. Like now it's now it's like blue and not blue, I think. But when that YouTube dislike bar was red, that was like, bro, that was like, yo, shit's trash, dog. So did you grow up? (laughs) Did you grow up wanting to be a YouTuber or what? I Ah, geez, I grew up wanting to be a baseball play-by-play broadcaster. Huh. And then I got to college and then realized that there were so many kids there that knew, that loved baseball way more than I did. Um, and they loved, um, they loved sports way more than I did. So at the University of Maryland, there was a broadcast journalism track and there was a print journalism track. And uh-huh. I didn't want to do just print because I didn't want to just go into that kind of writing style. Yeah, well, They've changed the tracks now. Um, and I literally also, same thing as my college. I went to school for broadcast journalism too. Yeah, and I I went to broadcast, but I didn't want to be like a local news person. Pain. So I just like kind of just went to college, and then I talked my way into like the social media track. But then I've been inspired. I was also inspired by like YouTube creators then. But there's no real like school for that. You just make a channel, and you could do God knows ride. what. Right. Yeah, just because you make a YouTube channel and know all the right things to do doesn't mean your YouTube channel is going to pop off. And that's right. the scary part. Um, that's the fun part about the Internet. Yeah. So I got a job at ESPN's The Undefeated, and then I got approached by SB Nation. So I took that job. And SB Nation, SB Nation had a YouTube account, but the YouTube strategy was considerably different. Um, instead SB of Nation, dude, I used to love SB. When I used to like sports, my guy. Yeah, SB Nation's like, yeah. So I but, used to like sports a lot, and then I had a friend play, uh, like on a practice squad at Southern. I used to like football specifically a lot. Yeah, I have a, I like, I know everything about football, like the sport, the game, and I had a friend who I trained him to play at uh, Southern Miss. We trained all summer. He got ready in shape. And was ready. He was on a practice squad. He got an injury, a head injury so bad he forgot how to read for a month. Jesus. And I said to myself, I can't watch this sport anymore, man. This is That's killing totally people. fair. My yeah. parents I never mean, let me play. I played. I um well what happened is cause I ran track in one states twice. Um uh, my what? coach Yeah. I won what, the hundred what's your event? Hundred meter. What was your time? Uh, ten four hand, ten six electric. We were what? in, but we were, but that's not Florida fast, bro. I know Florida, they be going Florida dumb hard. If I, if I was in Florida, I would have gotten dusted. I know that I was in like North Carolina private division, so it wasn't really a hard, like hard competition. But Florida, I know I would have gotten, I would have gotten fucking dusted. So that was my sophomore <laughs> and junior year, and that entire summer from junior year to senior year, I would practice on the track. And as everybody knows tracks are right by football fields right next to them. the head coach he knew that i won state every fucking day was i was training he'd be like hey kobe when are you gonna come return kicks and i was like uh. i was like god bro you're lucky this is the, you're lucky this is the only track that i can actually like have <laughs> access to right if i wasn't like yeah, this old grown man just harassing a seventeen-year-old man. It's like <laughs> this dude followed me around. Like every time I saw him, he's like, "Hey, come here. When are you gonna turn?" I'm was like, your bro. football team good? No. So then, what the hell's the they point? Were, uh, they weren't like they were like what? Maybe they would go like a seven and five. I don't know what. I don't know. What they weren't. The, they weren't. They weren't risk your own life. 
to no. win a championship. Good. They were yeah. They weren't <laughs> risk my life to like be on like a be in like a movie kind of thing. You know, dude, like it was. Dude, nah. let me tell you about my high school team, bro. So I played JV because I was never good enough to play varsity. It was a fact I've been ashamed of my whole life. I ain't no shame. I've, I've I've gotten over it obviously as I've grown, but yeah. until until like I was out of college, I just like didn't tell anybody. But then when you think about who was on the varsity team when I was there, it starts to make sense. Yeah, uh, future so, so, future college athletes and pros and everything. Yeah, Trey Mason, you ever heard of him? Remember yeah, him in college? Jesus. Yeah, okay. He well, lived yeah. down the street from me. He was our running back. He every play went to that man. And he would rush for like three thousand yards a season. Jesus. And we're talking Florida season, so like hard. <laughs> uh, and we had to play against talent like Jacoby Brissett, Lamar Jackson. Like all these dudes are from my hometown. Jesus Christ, bro. You don't fuck around with Florida sports, bro. I hate it. Oh, absolutely. It. No, yeah. Are no, so no, no. Talented. Man, I wish I grew up in like Massachusetts. I'd be all state, nigga. Like, <laughs> God, I didn't even make it to varsity, bro. <laughs> all right. That was like, that was for North Carolina. That was a uh, basketball. My school, um, I didn't make any other school. Nope. That's not even true. Like, half of the schools in North Carolina, I could have made varsity. But then we would have been destroyed by the other half of the schools where, you know, where to to God, where John Wall went to. Right. Um, Let's see. um, My school had Ryan Kelly, who went to Duke for four years, I think may have won a national championship there or was on that team that like happened right afterwards. But, uh, yeah, he went there. uh, And then we had another kid named Anton Gill who went to Louisville. Yeah, and then transferred crazy. to Nebraska. Then my my like my close one of my close friends. Remember one of the eight friends that I actually like yeah, hung sure, around sure, with. Sure. The homies. He played for Georgetown. Um, crazy. Yeah, and then he transferred to Nebraska, and to play with other homie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, played, they, ended, they ended up on the same team. Yeah, and everything. So I for two years I was trying to like make play basketball as and then my parents were but my parents weren't aren't like weren't like give that shit up my dad wouldn't say anything he was like he'll figure it out on its own yeah and i I fucking did because i was like hey i'm I'm thinking i'm gonna do that too i'm I'm gonna let my kid live out the dream enough and i feel like my kid will come to the realization yeah Yeah, life life is hard if you tell your kid every time that something's gonna break their heart they'll never feel it right like i'm not gonna tell my like my heartbreaker moment was I was playing AAU and we it was a uh, we were playing Garner Road basketball. That's that was the name of the AAU team. But our age group had three teams. I was on the C team. Whoa. One tournament we played the B team. No, we played the A team. Um, the A team had Devonte Graham, who is a point guard for the Charlotte Hornets right now. Easy. Um, we lost by seventy. Oh shit! Oh yeah, and I was like, "You lost by seventy, and on top of that, I played eight minutes." But like, also, like, a... but like, you guys were part of the same squad too, so you had to like see him around, around, right? Like, you had oh to yeah, see him around we... at the water fountain and shit. Dude, we knew what it was. We right. knew what it was. Right. You right. Know, I... right. Yeah. Oops. So, so I had two moments that was my come to Jesus moments. Then we could talk back about the film or whatever. It's your podcast, man. So, <laughs> two come to Jesus moments. One time, the kid who, uh, who was playing safety at the time, which I made a Facebook post about him earlier this year or earlier last year. Yeah. Uh, when all of the like the riots were happening, all the protests were happening. And it was about like, hey, cops shouldn't kill black people. Like, that's easy. Um, yeah. The kid who played safety on varsity ha- is a cop now and has killed a black person. <sighs> An unarmed black person. Well, well, he says they were armed and the. the there's no evidence of it. So, well, Holy <laughs> so shit. I made a Facebook post about it earlier last year because I am an insane person and also like, come get it. <laughs> and so like, we go, we going to do this to the end, baby. And so he, they trashed me, but boy, did I win the PR battle? But like, <laughs> so this guy's out, right? For oh, a day or something. He had to do right. something. And they're like, Max, you play second team safety, like take over. So I'm like, great. This is my big chance to prove to them that I'm as good as I think I am. And like, right. I'm in varsity next year if I can just like hold it down. I like make yeah. third string, second string, third string, whatever. I'll be on varsity. Right. Great. They do a, a, a sweep 
to the outside, to the right. Uh, it was a left sweep for them, but I was safety, so I'm looking on the right side. Yeah. On this sweep is a guard that went to Wake Forest, pool, a tackle, <laughs> a tackle that went to South Carolina, a fullback that went to a D3 school that wins championships, yeah. and Trey Mason on that sweep. <laughs> <laughs> a running back who ended up breaking Bo Jackson's single-season rushing record at Auburn. The one that stood for, like, 30 years. Yeah, you got it. So they're pulling, and I'm looking at it. You know, I'm doing a little mental math in my head. Nah, this ain't this ain't it, Chief. So I dive at their feet, get screamed at. But you know what? I was alive. Right. You didn't, yeah. And let me tell you about those motherfuckers. They really wanted to hit me. They didn't like my black ass. Remember, this is Florida. Right. They, they, they're they going to get racist. you. They were racist. Those guys were racist. Jesus. The, the guard and the tackle were racist. Well, one of them was racist. The other one was just no. a dick. And my second coming to Jesus moment was we were all hanging out, like, you know, for the football team. I was going to try out for varsity for, like, the 19th time or whatever. Right. The head coach <laughs> pulls me aside personally with, like, three other dudes who just, like, were kind of tweeners. Like, and he's like, hey, you guys are all here because you're all, like, tweeners. Like, good enough to, like, play but not good enough to make the team or whatever and so right. he like basically looked me directly in the eye and was like listen so i went to a big school that was huge on steroids huge yeah because we live in florida and florida had announced one year that they were not going to drug test anymore inexplicably instead of just stopping what? doing it yeah they could have oh. just stopped doing it and not told anybody but they they announced it it's too expensive Jeez. And so i have I had teammates, people were at least around varsity, who had open vials just in their locker, in their see-through lockers. Yeah. And just yeah. everyone pretended like it didn't happen. So Buddy came to you and was like, listen. Yeah, yeah. He said, listen, <laughs> unless you get much faster, because I ran a 4.6 in high school. That's pretty fast. It's not Florida it's fast. It's not Florida fast, brother. It's, it's not, not Florida, Florida fast, fast, but that's, that's pretty fucking fast. Yeah, it's 4.6 times and in when I was a freshman in high school, I ran a four nine laser. Yeah, I was fourteen. I ran a four nine laser. Yeah, exactly. That's what, what, I'm, that's what I was saying. Yeah, exactly. But like, he Florida. looked at me and said, "Listen, you ain't Florida fast. You ain't Florida big. You get you get one of those by the spring, and you might make the team." And I was like, "Okay, deuces." <laughs> <laughs> You're like, "I'm good. I can't do steroids." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and I'm glad I didn't because I really filled out since then. Yeah, and I would be massive right now if I had taken it in yeah. like a not fun way. My my come to Jesus best. My second coming to Jesus basketball moment was um, when remember Anton? Yeah, yeah. He Gil? dunked on he dunked on me in a tryout. Yeah, well. Yeah, I because I tried to. <laughs> I thought that I would impress the coach by taking a charge in tryout because you know taking a charge you'd be like a team. Right. Nah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the scrappy one. Yeah, I'm the, the I'm first the, one in, last one out. Yeah, like a like a. It's like a trying to be uh, what's his face, Wes Welker. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to be like a like a Duke basketball player and take a charge or whatever, and then no. Oh, that, you that was it. it. Charge yep. it to the game. Yeah, charge <laughs> the game, and uh, <laughs> and I yeah didn't make the team then, and I was just like yeah you know what, I'm off it. Like y'all got day. it. Yeah. yeah. Stick to run. I actually did track too. I ran hurdles. Ooh. I ran one track meet and I said, this shit took too much time. I'm out. High school track meets do take forever. It's like three hours of just sitting around with your friends and just clowning everybody. And then it's like, oh, it's time to race. Like, you Yeah, know. but I don't like people. I didn't like the track people like that. I didn't want to talk to uh, them. Okay. I wanted to do my shit and leave. Like, ah, uh, you had to be like a thrower because throwers can just like go home at like 4 30. That's the person I am, though. I like to. I'm a business person. I like to go in, do my business, and then we can hang. That's but fair. I, that's I can't fair. hang out while business is still on the table. Yeah, that's true. So, as we're wrapping up the podcast, it's been a great episode. Lots of fun. My last thing Thank would you. be: What advice would you give to anyone trying to make a short film? Maybe they went. Maybe they went to college. Maybe they didn't. What would you? What would you? Um, yeah. So, I mean. That's a it's an interesting question because people are always asking advice to make a feature. I don't know how to make a feature. I know how to make a short. I know how to make the fuck out of a short. So the yeah. first thing is to write something and show as many people as possible. Okay. That's my method, which is once there's something that I know is like 
good. I, I, I have a very large group of friends. And Kofi, you are, if you're interested in ever reading something I've written, you're invited to. Sure, and yeah. I have a very large group of friends, and I try to show it uh, to as many people as possible. Then I pull the notes together and see which ones that are good notes, bad notes, and, like, like good note, but I don't like it. Right, yeah. I mean, but those exist. I mean, you can't take – I mean, you can't just accept everything from everyone. All notes are not equal. Yeah, and then some of the notes, like, they collide with each other. Exactly. So you have to put your notes into little things. But once you have that written – <laughs> the writing is the easy part, believe it or not, because yeah. making a film is one of the hardest things. Every time I make a film, and I've done three now, every time I make a film, I think to myself, never again. <laughs> and then I do it again. This, this is what you want to do in life, but then never again. Right. Well, it's just so hard. Well, the thing is, when you're at this le little level, it's so hard. Be the other other thing I would tell people who... Are making who want to make a short film but don't know where to start be prepared to do everything yourself okay because that's always what it turns out to because you are not paying enough for people to halt their lives you're not paying enough to give anyone much of anything if you're paying at all right and so it's really just about figuring out what you can do with as little as possible and so most of the times it comes down to you having to do the budgeting yourself, having to get the – oh, another thing. Don't ever buy a camera to make films with. What do you mean? Like a – Like a film camera. Don't buy a film camera. It's a, it's a waste of money. Like Unless a... you plan on renting it out. You so mean like a, like a camcorder or like a DSLR or like just no. any camera in so, general? So there are some cameras that are higher – the higher end DSLRs, once you get a little bit past a few grand, they yeah. become to the point where it's just easier to rent them. Okay. Oh, so okay. I see cheaper, what you're saying now. So yeah. much easier. Do not purchase a camera. And another thing is if you're going to film something, film it on the weekend, obviously, because all the rental stuff, weekends count as one day. Yeah, that's what it was like. That's what it was like at school. Right. So yeah. if, you can, if you can figure it out where, let's say, you're filming three days, it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which was my original film plan. We ended up doing it in two days, which is beyond me how we did that. Yeah, uh, but uh, you can rent it. It'll cost you a fraction of what it would cost to buy it, and you get all the things on it. Another thing is Facebook is dead, except for for film groups. Yeah, film groups are the only reason I have Facebook still. I I deleted mine. Like I wish in September. I could. I, I deleted mine, and the reason why I didn't delete it earlier is because I was still working social media, so I'd still have to like have access to our, right, to our Facebook page, right. Um, but as soon as I got off it, I was like, "Yo, we're we're done." I wish I could. Two things Facebook is good for for me personally. Like I said, I was pretty popular in high school and college. Well, yeah, college less so because it's a huge school, right. But uh, in high school, certainly, and those people end up being my biggest donors. Yeah, I mean, because, yeah, cause they... because nobody. Nobody has anybody that they know that's doing cool shit. And if you're making a short film, I promise you it's cool. Like I got right. no matter what it's about. I promise you it's cool that you're even doing that, it. It just sounds dope as shit, though. Right. It sounds so, cool. So I raise my money through my short films and then I get all my crew and cast. Well, just a crew on Facebook, too. There's like a ton of Facebook groups for any city you're in that talks about. I mean, these are really functional tips that I'm giving here. Yeah. <laughs> there are tons of groups. You just put film and your city. Uh, I live in New York City, so it's a little bit easier. Um, yeah. and, and I mean, that's why I moved here. <laughs> and 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 there'll be a group and you can enter and then you can find the people. And it's all about creating that little connection. And then my last thing is um, don't take film festivals too seriously. OK. Uh, in my opinion, 90 percent, maybe maybe less, 80 percent of film festivals are scams. OK. Film festivals, small film festivals are a lot like races for awareness. Okay. It's like, like we're already aware that these people are making film. Like it doesn't do any, it doesn't help anybody. The big film festivals can get you agents, can get you all this stuff, but, and medium sized too can get people looking at you and stuff. And some small yeah. ones that are very specific to what your film is about can be useful. Uh huh. But by and large, like, and they're expensive. So you'll be entering $25 a festival, probably won't get it. I mean, might not get in. Yeah. 
And then on top of that, so now you've wasted $25. And on top of that, if you get in, it's just a bunch of people going, uh, wow, look at how great that was. Good job. And then it's like, cool. Are you going to help me? We're going to be there to be there. Right. To be there. Yeah. Right. And so I think instead of focusing on film festivals, I say you focus on community and building your local community better. So when you are ready to make a film, you can just boom, call your people and go. Yeah, I think that's way more practical. I didn't know that film festivals were used for like networking at the at higher levels. I thought they were just like awards and everybody. I've never been to one. I thought they were just awards and like, yeah. Yeah, I spoke at one. I got a little sassy with the uh, we did a Q&A. I'm not very. <laughs> he kept pushing me, you know, he kept asking, what's your next project? And like, I don't know. I never know. <laughs> but keep asking and see what the fuck around and find out. And he, did. <laughs> and he went to my executive producer and was like, what's, what's that kid's deal? And he's like, I don't like you're pushing him. What don't do you ask mean? Him, don't this? ask him the don't, same thing over and over. He kept, he's like, oh, come on. All right, nigga, you want me to come on? I, I don't know. And I won't know. Leave me alone. <laughs> so salty. Oh, man. So, um, yeah, I'd say th- those pieces of advice. And um, remember, I think the best piece of advice is remember that you're making this for you. Okay. Because when I made my film, when I wrote my film, I showed it to another friend of mine who's a writer, and she absolutely trashed it. You're right. Absolutely. Like, like I was personally hurt. That like, shit gets personally. To you, yeah, that ass. It wasn't like, oh, this could use a little work. Like, oh, it's not for me. It was like, yo, this is bad and cliche and like, like start a new project. Jesus. And I was like, oh, fuck, fuck that's awful. But I still made it because I remember why I'm making it for. It's not not for views and not for fame. And that's because it's an important story to me. And not everybody's going to like what you make. Well, you, you can't not everything's be, for everybody. Yeah, you can't eat. Like, it's I can't think of one piece of content that is just unanimously liked. You none. I don't think there it exists. Back to the future. All right. Uh, just kidding, I'm just hey, bro. Hey, bro. You might you making some good points? <laughs> making some good ah! points. <laughs> I've never met a nigga go. You know what? That Marty McFly. I, tell him to catch me in the streets. It's on sight. <laughs> if I catch him going one mile per hour under eighty-eight, it's on sight. Bro, you know how I I can't. Yeah, you're right. I can't. I don't. I've never met anyone that hates Back to the Future. The first one. The, the if you hate if you hate parts of if you hate the third one that's totally acceptable. The third one's trash, bro. Yeah, the first one. Come on now. It's as perfect Come as on. movies get. Yeah. I mean, like, pop like pop movies, anyways. Yeah. All right. So that will wrap it up for Chillin' with Kofi. Max, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, man. What a special special time to be one of the first few episodes of Chillin' with Kofi. Yeah, man. I appreciated it. For those of you that are new, feel free to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can also find this episode on Spotify, YouTube, and wherever podcasts are. I'm trying to fix the RSS. Um, <laughs> whatever podcasts are? Question mark. Wherever podcasts are, because there's like there's like TuneIn <laughs> and like Stitcher and all those other places right, that right, it's like yeah. they were like if Apple has it, then it automatically goes to this place too. And I was like, okay, it's a racket. Yeah. But anyway, I will see you guys later. Thank you and have a good one. Bye. Bye, everybody.